HVAC 360 is brought to you today by the HVAC Summer Reading Program for Kids. If the kids in your life are anything like me, they would rather chew on a box of pneumatic tubing than read the assigned classics for summer. So here at the HVAC Summer Reading Institute, we have hand-picked some new classics that are true or equals in our mind and that should qualify for credit at any school district. First up is one of our favorites, Fahrenheit 212. This is by Hugo Award winner I Am Steamy. The other selection is An Always Chilling Tale of Ice and Men by Professor Softserve. And for extra credit, we have added the heroic tale Little HVAC Women by none other than our own Betty Smalls. I think everyone will agree that these new classics are just what our future engineers ordered. Sign up today. Hey everybody, welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping to be the best of the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week I'm either sharing information about lessons learned in the field or talking with industry experts. But I don't stop there. I want to encourage you to double down on your weekly helping of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to none other than HVAC360.com to join my growing community of people just like you. Uh, where I'm happy to say that my membership site is back online and improving month by month. Uh, so what are we doing this week? This week I am going to continue. Um, I've heard some some good feedback, but I'm, I'm going to take an article from the Ashray Journal this time. Uh, this one is one of their uh, standard columns. Their, uh, this is the IEQ column, and it talks about human performance and productivity in buildings. Now, I'm going to kind of summarize the article real briefly, and then I'm going to put uh, kind of my two cents in uh, as far as what I think about this topic. All right, so as engineers, we really work hard to optimize the energy performance of buildings. Um, but when we take a look at it, the rule of thumb, as the article points out, for every $100 spent in an office building, $90 is going to go to employee salaries, $9 goes to rent, and only $1 of that original 100 will actually be spent on energy and utility bills. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to rocket scientist to be able to understand that 15% increase in human productivity is way more than 15% in energy savings. So, there's a there, the ROI is so much higher. The article goes on to um, talk about how this performance is defined in human terms. So three terms that they use, and these, use, these words are used interchangeably. Uh, they're often misused. Um, so they wanted to really define these three terms uh, very specifically. So the first one is performance. And this is the degree of success people have at accomplishing intended tasks. Uh, so this, so you can think about this as uh, test scores. You can talk about that, um, you know, older uh, adults uh, living on their own, uh, their ability to prepare meals, uh, to, uh, you know, take their medications on time. It, it, it goes for, a, you know, the, when you talk about tasks, it, it covers a very broad spectrum. Um, productivity is the other one 
that a lot of people would use. Productivity is, is, you know, if anybody studied economics, this is about, you know, work produced per unit of time. So this is a lot more detailed. Um, you think about a call center, the number of minutes spent uh, per phone call. Uh, if you look at key performance indicators for businesses, what they're actually measuring to see if they're going to be profitable, this is going to be uh, in that productivity realm. Now, they've broken out uh, this cognitive performance as that third term. This is really kind of a subset of the performance, but it really it, it specifically focuses and encompasses a lot of the memory, um, uh, test pattern recognition, that kind of stuff. This stuff that you usually uh, attribute to when you're developing you know, one of these uh, tests in a controlled environment. Um, specifically, when we look at the cognitive performance, it in and of itself... Um, when we look at how we test, it gets broken down into three executive functions that they go into. Um, first was the working memory. This is the ability to hold information in there and manipulate it, to answer questions, things like that. Um, next is the inhibition, the ability to uh, control your attention, not get distracted, and override habits that you have. And then the third executive function that they list is the ability uh, is task switching. So it's an ability to flexibly switch tasks from one thing to another. And really, when you talk about developing tests, they talked about using all three executive functions um, to be able to simulate something in the lab environment. So now getting away from some of these, these testing terms, they're really, you know, how does indoor environment impact uh, the design? So basically the design can either, you know, and this is pretty obvious, it can either help it or it can erode the performance of the occupants. Um, you know, really, it pointed out that the environment should be physically comfortable. This is not a big, uh, not a big surprise, but I'll get into that later. Um, you know, otherwise, um, you know, we're going to re really use up mental resources trying to counteract uh, some of the bad effects. Uh, another thing that uh, they pointed out was the access to daylight and the views. Um, this is something that allows people, uh, when they have that access, it allows them internally you know, to better regulate um, some of their impulses, to, to calm down, to alleviate stress. But ultimately, the article pointed out there is no one-size-fits-all for design solutions. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to break this to you. Um, but, you know, one of the possible solutions that they did bring up is that, you know, if you sense there's a lot of different things, a lot of different tasks that we do on a daily basis, you use or you want an environment, um, you know, you want environment A to do task A. Uh, you want environment B to use task B, you know, to do task B. So you have to be able to allow for a, a switching in environments uh, to be able to perform different tasks. So if you just have one environment for people, um, that doesn't necessarily work. Um, and that's that's more the you know uh, more the purview of the architect. So ultimately, what they said, you know, the key takeaways from the article is to have good thermal performance and to have space uh, choice, to have the environmental choice to be able to switch between spaces to be able to optimize and productively do what they need to do. All right. So that's it. Full stop for the article. Um, you know, I, 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 in picking this out, why, you know, I always look at that rule of thumb that you talked about in the beginning, 
you know, if you spend a hundred dollars, you know, <laughs> ninety bucks goes to the employees and one dollar goes to the energy savings. It's like why even, you know, why bother? Um, realistically, and it's and it's hard to get out of this mindset of we got to save energy, we got to save energy, we got to save energy. Um, you, you talk about different uh, different buildings like a uh, like a hospital, for instance. You know, it is so critical that you have the environment that you want that you disregard any energy savings uh, that you're actually going to. Um, you know, that that is not even on the table as far as considerations goes when you're designing a healthcare facility because it is so paramount. There is so much at stake uh, with getting the environment right that energy savings just doesn't matter. Um, you know, which which really is, you know, kind of mind-blowing as an engineer. You want to be able to say, okay, if, it, if I'm not focusing on energy, um, can I actually affect human performance? Can I make an engineered design that can affect the human performance? Now, I talked about different spaces here. And like I said, it's it, that's the architect's kind of role. That's, that's what they're doing uh, to get different spaces for different people. Um, obviously, you know, when you look at a, a standard office building, you're going to have uh, conference rooms, you're going to have, you know, office area, you're going to have, you know, some areas that are for, um, uh, you know, making calls and things like that. Those are some of the areas that, that, that show up that allow you to go from one area to, to another area and be able to focus. I mean, you're not, I mean, I've had prime examples of sitting in an office space, an open office space with, uh, you know, um, very low partitions and somebody gets on the phone, you know, and I, he's a, a particular loudmouth, and, you know, he's just talking away, blah, blah, blah. And there is no way to focus on what you need to do. And you need to be able to like, you know, put on some headphones just to drown out this, you know, very loud environment. There's just some environments that you just can't work in. Um, so ultimately, you know, if you're not affecting the spaces, if you're not designing the spaces, and I mean that in an architectural sense, if you're not allocating space for one uh, one purpose or another, then where what are you left with? How, how do you affect the performance of people? And ultimately, your job as an engineer kind of gets back to what your job as an engineer always was, and that's to provide a comfortable environment first. First and foremost, make sure that the environment that the occupants are in is comfortable. Um, you know, it, 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 it really doesn't take a rocket science, and I think everybody has some, some examples of even, you know, being in an office personally, of if it's too hot or too cold, you're not getting any work done. You know, your, your productivity goes to zero. So being able to keep that comfortable. Um, and, you know, uh, talk about some of the previous episodes. We talked about uh, this uh, radiant mean uh, heating effect. Um, if you can't use the first six feet of, you know, an out, you know the exterior, um, you know, 60 feet in, from an exterior wall, if you can't use that because it's all glass and it's just blazing hot, that's not that's not a good engineering design. If somebody was working there, they'd have zero productivity. So what you are supposed to do as an engineer to provide better human performance is to make sure that that radiant heating effect doesn't occur. 
you talk to the architect. This is this is where you need to put your foot down and say, no, this is going to be uncomfortable. When you say uncomfortable, you can just say, this is going to be unproductive. Same thing. All right, so even talking about zoning properly, making sure that everybody... Um, is able to control their own environment. That helps people. Um, obviously, the solar radiant we talked about, heating and cooling um, available um, when needed. Uh, this is not, you know, if you think about some of the different systems that exist out there, sometimes there are, um, you know, heating in the, obviously heating in the winter, cooling in the summer, um, depending on where you're living, but there are shoulder months, and usually there's some systems out there that do a systems changeover. So sometimes you get into a situation, um, say for instance, if it's, uh, you know, early spring and you get a cool morning, um, but you've already, tr you know, transferred over to cooling, um, you're not going to transfer over to heating. You're just kind of, kind of tough it out. Um, but being able to provide a solution to some of those situations where you can actively, um, you know, make sure that they can, whether they need, they need heating or cooling, uh, they get what they get or they get what they need so they can be productive in their space. So focus on good design, good comfort, good control, good zoning, all the very basics of what an engineer would do in the first place. Um, another thing that you, you'd want to take a look at, you want to take a look at outside air. Obviously, outside air plays a big part uh, of being able to, um, you know, keep a space healthy uh, when you look at, you know, just a general IEQ layout. Um, another one that's, that's, that's pretty big that often engineers miss is noise making sure that a space is not noisy there you know just like heating and cooling if you have a noisy space there is no way that you can focus on the work at hand it really makes that space unusable um, so you really need to focus on making sure that if there's a piece of noisy equipment it's going to go into a space where there's um uh, transient occupy, you know, occupants. You know, make sure that it's around like an elevator core or or bathrooms or corridors, things like that, where you're not going to have people sitting there for long periods of time being exposed to those uh, to those noises. Um, and as just kind of a, a prime example, there's been a case, uh, a couple of cases at least that that I've dealt with. Um, where the digital scroll compressors, you know, it's it's one of those uh, devices that provides you some great uh, partial efficiencies. Uh, really, be you know, it, it allows uh, systems to be able to actually heat and cool better um, because it will be able to you know ride that comfort curve of a coil and make sure that the dehumidification, that passive dehumidification, is done properly. But ultimately, the the coil itself or the compressor itself, rather, is uh, very noisy, um, and, you know, it very obnoxiously so. Um, there was a case where we had a, a chiller that had a digital scroll compressor. Uh, it was mounted on grade, and you could walk by it. Um, it was in a secure location, but, you know, people would, on a regular basis, walk by it, and they go, you know, is that done? Is that finished? Um, because it's so loud that it's it's really like no was there supposed to be some sort of sound baffle or something put up there um even to the even to the point where it could be objectionable to, objectionable to neighbors 
um, if if your equipment is causing you problems, um, it may not necessarily be all the occupants that have to you know put up with it. But if you are uh, managing a space, um, if you're the uh, facility manager and you have a piece of noisy equipment, and all of a sudden it causes you to have to deal with neighbors. Um, that could be a very big problem. So as an engineer, be very sensitive to how much noise your uh, particular piece of equipment uh, is making. You know, and, and just saying, you know, just putting on the drawing, hey, it has to be quiet or it has to be a certain decibels, it, it really is up to the engineer uh, to make sure that, A, that is absolutely possible what, and what that looks like. Um, if there's any sort of options that could improve that, that could help you, um, because it's really, you know, you really have to check it out in the uh, the submittal process to be able to understand if that, in fact, is what you're getting. Um, and you really have to be um, be the professional, be the one who takes a look at that um, to understand um, what the noisy components are uh, to a particular piece of equipment and be able to uh, be able to handle that. So that is my commentary. You know, as as much as we like to say, hey, you know what, we can do something to affect performance. It really gets back to hey, understand what basic fundamental design is, make sure that the space is comfortable, make sure that it's not too noisy, that you get the right amount of outside air so it doesn't, it doesn't feel stuffy or, uh, you, know, you know, get uh, moldy, humid. You know, really control those conditions. Do the fundamentals and you will invariably affect the human performance of those spaces. So you will be able to, you know, indirectly affect the performance and get those savings for an owner. It'll make that building be extremely usable. So focus on the fundamentals. Understand what it means to be a good engineer, good design, um, and that's pretty much it. So that is kind of my commentary on the human performance. You know, they have all these different you know, all these different tests and things like that. And, you know, the information is great and it's useful um, to a point, but maybe not to engineers specifically. You really need to focus your energy first on knowing how to design well. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you know anybody who's looking more information about this topic, consider passing this episode along. If you're not a subscriber already, consider going over to HVAC 360 and joining the growing community of people just like you for more weekly goodness. Um, and great, And lastly, I would be greatly honored if you would consider leaving me a rating on Apple Podcasts as well as jumping over to YouTube and hitting subscribe. Um, we offer these episodes as uh, you could listen to them on YouTube uh, if you want. Uh, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, uh, video that goes along with it, but it is it is broadcast on YouTube as well, just in case anybody was wondering. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best in the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. <laughs>